Hey, man. Awesome. Well, we are starting a new series today called Time to Live. And uh, if you didn't know, you should know that you're alive. Uh, but what I have found is that uh, not all of us are alive, or at least alive in Christ. And, uh, and so many of us uh, can be uh, caught sleeping at the wheel in, uh, in Christianity. And so uh, we're going to unpack three thoughts uh, with this series. We're going to unpack the past, the present, and the future. And uh, try to just get to some stuff that's good. And today we're going to talk about freedom from the past. Man, this is a this is a good one. It got me. I think it's going to get many of you. So if you don't know, now you know. This is one of those ones where you want to keep your toes way underneath the chair because uh, I'm going to step on them. I like it. Hey, like your pastor. He's a nice guy. Cool. Uh, so we're going to start off. Uh, I'm going to jump right into this thing here. Uh, time to live. Freedom from the past. Uh, point number one today. I've got four points for you. And the first point today is the calling. There is a call of God on your life. This is the age old truth, man. Like this, is, this is like as simple as it can be. God has a plan for you. And, uh, you know, the problem is many of us forget that and your life can show it. And because we stop pressing forward to the mark that God set out before us, believing that God's going to do something good, activating your faith and living intentionally when you stop believing that God has a plan for your life. And uh, it, it's, it's crucial for you to get to that point. And so anyways, today, God has always had a plan for you. Uh, and I like to think of it uh, today, we're going to talk about this golden, furry, little, fun guy named Simba. Y'all know who Simba is? We're going to talk about the Lion King today. He's going to be my illustration throughout the whole sermon. I didn't realize it until I got to the end, and I wrote all my points, and then I thought of my man Simba. So we're going to talk about Simba today. And y'all know when Simba was dedicated to Jesus, and they, they lifted him up, right? And they said, Father, have your way in Simba's life. And, uh, and then the, a prophetic word came down from heaven and spoke over Simba and said, Everywhere, and James Earl Jones, everywhere that the light touches shall be yours, Simba. And so uh, I, I do feel like it was awesome when, when Simba's life was dedicated there in that little movie. It's my favorite Disney movie of all time. And if it's not yours, you need to make it yours because it's awesome. And the new one's even good. But um, So uh, what I have learned is that even when you, before you were born, God already had a plan for your life. And some of you don't know about that plan, or it's, it's been a mystery to you, but I want you to know is that uh, even if you don't know where you are in your relationship with God, you, all, you still have a relationship with God because of God's commitment to you. Yes. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And God has been in your life all through your life. Many of you just didn't know it yet, but if you rewound the tape... You could see all of the moments. Remember that, that little uh, footprints thing that was at grandma's house that was up on the wall? Uh, when you didn't know what I was carrying you when there was only one set of footprints. Remember that one? All right. yeah. I, I, I am getting carried away here today. Too much personality. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 is a super popular verse that I just have to remind you of a simple truth. That there's a call of God in your life. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now this word is for Jeremiah, but you need to understand that the way the Lord works is He's always known you. 
He knows your whole life, and he knows the plan that he has for you. He's already determined uh, that he was set Jeremiah apart to be a prophet. The Lord has determined greatness for you. You have a destiny. There are things that God wants you to accomplish in this lifetime. And only you can fight for those things. Only you can activate those things inside of you. Get tenacious about it. And we, we know that God has always had a plan for you. This is one of the most popular verses in the bathroom of anyone's house. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Come on. T.D. Jakes would preach it. And everyone would stand up and start shouting, yeah, man, come on now. But no one does that for me. I don't know why. Uh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. He's always had a plan for you. And what I want you to know and understand before we move forward in the sermon is there's nothing you can do to ruin that. There's nothing you can do that can change the way God loves you. There's nothing you can do that can change the potential that he sees in you. Ask any parent. They always know the potential of their kids. They see the goodness inside of them. Man, we're going to get to some things today. It's going to be good. So today is, let's pray before we go any further. Dear Jesus, Help. Amen. There is a plan that God has for your life. I, I think about this with everyone in Scripture, the potential and the destiny that God had for them. And no person in Scripture do I see it more in than in the life of David. Uh, we had a king that was um, throwing away the, the life that God had for them. They wouldn't, it wasn't putting the Lord as the priority over Israel, this King Saul. And the Lord set out in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 11, and God calls for a king who would be one known as a man after God's own heart. The Lord said, I know someone who even right now is serving me faithfully, doing the little things. And uh, what I love about the story of David is when God is looking for someone to do something great for his kingdom, he's, he's not looking for like uh, how smart you are or how intelligent you are or what your pedigree is. Like you look throughout scripture and all of these people that were used of God mightily were simple people. David was a shepherd boy. He smelled like poop. He, he had a simple job. He was a regular dude. And the least of these, really, he should have been passed over by his older brothers and his older brother and his older brother and his older brother. He was the youngest, the smallest, probably the least intelligent, but he was faithful and he loved God. And the scripture would talk about stories, David sitting on the backside of a mountain with his sheep singing to the Lord. David was a worshiper and he loved God. Today, God knows your heart. Regardless of what's going on or what's happened in your past, one thing you have to know about who God is, is He knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. And He knows your struggles. And many of you have struggled to love God. And I love that even Jesus would say that the Lord knows your thoughts. Even He knows your prayers before you pray them. He knows your thoughts before you think them. Because He knows you. He is intricately involved in your life. And he loves the way that you love him. And some of us are really hard on ourselves. Like we just don't feel like we can get there to be good enough to love God. 
And it's really just not fair the standard sometimes you put on yourself in relationship and the way that God is calling you to love him. But we're going to get there. So God called for a king, a man after God's own heart. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 10 through 13, we see David being anointed, passed over his brothers, anointed as, as king, and, uh, and called to do mighty things for the Lord. There's a call of God on your life. And David's life from that moment on, from 1 Samuel chapter 16, if, if the scripture is boring to you and you're a guy, let me just talk to the dudes real quick. Read the life of David. He's like, man, he makes me want to like stick my chest out and do something awesome. Like I want to just go run in traffic and jump on cars or something. I don't know. Like I, I just like David is awesome and he's a, such a manly man. And it's it's so contrary to like the way that we have defined it, a, a Christian soldier nowadays. Like David was awesome. And uh, from da- from the moment he was anointed king, the scripture says from that point on, th- the spirit of the Lord grew mightily upon him. And he did my, many mighty things for God. He, he conquered nations. He slayed many people. And the Spirit of God would just move on him and move on him and move on him. And I think also, ultimately it was because David always went away with the Lord and would sing to him. And most of these psalms, it's really funny when I think about David because he was the, like the mightiest of men. The scripture said that he slayed 10,000 men, right? And uh, he, so it's kind of like he's Brock Lesnar that sings to Jesus. Like, I don't know like what image you get, but when I think of Brock Lesnar, I think of like men amongst men. Like, he is man amongst... Anyways, shut up. So David was super successful in his life. There's a call of God in your life. The second point today is there's a lie. So David like grew and grew and grew and grew and he became king and he was doing many things and he was like the wealthiest of all the kings and it was like everything that David did turned to gold. Until a moment that happened in David's life that defined who he was. And we're talking today about it's time to live freedom from your past. Do you ever have a bad moment that you feel like you can't get away from? It was a mistake, a bad mistake. 1 Samuel chapter 11, 2 through 5 said, One evening David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uri the Hittite. David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and she slept with him. And she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, "Uh uh-oh, it's bad. A bad decision that got worse and got worse and got worse. And it got worse mostly because David covered it up. But I want you to know that the man after God's own heart, it didn't, this mishap in his life, and it was a mishap, didn't change who he was. God still knew his heart. That David was still a man after God's own heart, regardless of what he's done. I love, one of the things that I love most about my wife, she teaches me so many things that's so awesome. But she'll sit with my kids day, week in and week out. I've heard her say this so many times. Your do is not your who. And what David did didn't define who he was. And it's so hard because when you have a moment in your past, many of us, 
can allow it to define who we are and what we've become. And David went from making a mistake to trying to cover it up, to trying to cover it up, to trying to cover it up. And he, he actually handled it in the worst way possible. You know the lie that you've been told? This is great. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's free. It's safe. It's worth it just once. Uh, you know the one, lie. We've learned that all that glitters is not gold. We've learned that a lot of pleasure that happens momentarily can lead to a life of shame. We've lead that a lot of things that in a moment it seemed like such a good idea and we pay the price forever and ever and ever. And I'm telling you, men, women, there are things that are good in your life that you can screw up really good in just a moment. You got to know what's good in your life and you got to know what's not good. Think about Adam and Eve. Think about Noah. And you know what? It's important for us to know is that everyone in Scripture made some bad decisions. I mean, if we read through Hebrews 11 and all of the men of faith and women of faith, people made some stupid decisions and they still loved God. Our apostle Paul said, I know what I ought to do and I know what I not ought to do, but what I want to do, I don't do. And what I should do, I don't do. And there is inside of us a desire to love God and a desire to please God, and yet there is still inside of us an idiot who opens our mouth when we should shut it and shuts their mouth when they should open it. And there are some times in our past, like some really bad mistakes, that if we're not careful, will define our future and rob us of our present and steal the call of God on our life. And I have found it to be true so often where people that I know the Spirit of God is on their life refuse to rise to a moment where God's calling them to do something because of what's happened in their past. And it's everything that we don't learn in Scripture. We learned it from the enemy. Well, Simba learned it from Scar uh, in the movie of The Lion King. I'm still going back to Simba here today. What I know is that there was a plan that was set out before him, and he allowed a bad moment and a lie to rob him as Scar came to him and said, Simba, what did you do? Mufasa would still be alive if it wasn't for you. And he allowed the enemy to come in and speak to him in such a way. What did Eve, what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden? Who lied to you? Who told you that this was? So many times in scripture, you know, where the enemy would come to Adam and say, did God really say? And the enemy has a way of twisting and being so cunning and so manipulating and so manipulating and so manipulating, but he gets you thinking that it was all your fault and you screwed everything up and never, never can anything be good again. And Simba ran from that moment and he, he ran into the wilderness and abandoned his destiny. He found himself hanging out with two hooligans, which ended up being pretty cool hooligans, right? And what I know is that many of us can find ourselves hanging out with hooligans that are pretty cool, but it's not where God called us to be. But God can redeem Everything. We'll get there. When Simba ran, what did you do? It was your fault. Shame on you. 
This is what the enemy would do. Shame on you. Shame on you. Look at what you've done. Look at what you said. And they just pile it up and remember and remember and remember and remember. That moment that changed Simba's life, it changed who he believed he was, what he deserved moving forward. Shame is a terrible, crippling decision to put on yourself because you have to choose to wear it. It's not who the Lord says you are. It's not what the Lord says that you can do. And it's not where the Lord is taking you. But shame is something we put on ourselves, that condemnation. Many burdens of shame seem too heavy for true freedom to be possible. Shame is the belief that we now are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. You ever felt it? If we're being honest, it's very present in this room. Believing that I'm unlovable and I don't belong and I simply don't deserve that. I don't deserve God to use me like that. God should probably use them. You know who's really anointed is Pastor Tim. He should just do those things. I'm telling you, I'm not called to do the things that God's called you to do. That's right. You're called. There's a destiny that's for you. You are supposed to be anointed. And everyone in Scripture that made the ugliest of ugliest mistakes were still called. David, when he died, was a still a man after God's own heart. Our future and our calling is impossible with moments like this that seem to be edged in something that looks like stone. It just seems permanent. Permanent. First point today is you have a calling. The second point is that there was a lie. The third point I want to talk to you about today is the Lord's redemption. Man, it's so beautiful. Because if you don't know, now you're going to know. So Rafiki got out his big old stick, right? Y'all know Rafiki, the little, was he monkey? I don't, I don't even know what he is. We're going to call him a monkey because I don't know what, baboon or I don't know. It's a baboon. All right, that's, there you go. I learned that just now. So anyways, Rafiki gets his stick out and he whacks him on the head. Because if you have a good person in your life, they'll slap you around a little bit. And they hit him in the head and Simba said, ow, why'd you do that? And Rafiki says, it doesn't matter. It's in the past. Do you know what I know? Things that hurt still in your life, many people are still asking why. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Right. It's in the past. Yes, come on. And many of us are still really hanging on tight to things that happened a long time ago that you can't rewind. You can't go back and fix, and you surely can't go back and understand. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. And Simba says, yeah, but the past seems to hurt. It does. It does sometimes. It does when it's not healed yet. And so sometimes, uh, how, do I, how do you know you still have a wound? When someone touches it. It's a nerve that sets off a whole lot of yuck. Someone says one word and the anger rises up. Or, or shame rises up. Or all of this brokenness still comes out. It's called past, and it's robbing you of your present. 
Let me, let me show you. In the natural, in the physical, God designed this mind, body, and spirit. In the physical, you'll know that you're not whole yet. You're not healed yet. Because if you have a broken arm and I touch it, oh, 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 you're going to feel it, Jack. You know, you, Or you have an open wound and you touch it. Oh, man. You have, you have a bruise. You ever have an ingrown toe? You know what's really funny? It's really weird to me. You never stub your toe until you have a, like, like something that's wrong. You know, like, like no one ever pats you on the back until you got sunburned. Like, what's that all about? Like, it's reminding you, it, it hurts. Uh, something ain't whole. And, uh, and so what I know in my life is that when you have an issue uh, with pornography and someone picks up your phone, oh, because you got things that you've been hiding we don't want to talk about that in church, Pastor Tim. Come on now. We, there's things that's going off in our life that we're not dealing with. And it's in our past and it's coming up in the present. And I don't know what this looks like in your marriage when a bomb goes off. Anger rises up. It's because we have things from the past that ain't been whole yet. And this is how redemption happens. So what does the process look like? I don't know. But I know that David, the guy that did this awful thing, he got confronted by a friend and said, hey, David, let me tell you the story about this bad guy who did this terrible thing. And David's like, oh, man, I'd kill that guy. <laughs> that guy's <is> you, Jack. <laughs> and uh, it was really awesome. And then David broke. And God, his heart, his real heart began to rise up. And what I know is that many of you that have done wrong, you still love Jesus. You just have an issue. Welcome to Christianity. And we fight to get rid of these things. And so David, after he had this awful encounter with this, this, this woman, and he did this terrible thing, and this prophet confronts him, he writes what we know now is one of the greatest psalms ever. He writes a song, this warrior, the 51st Psalm, where he reveals transparency to us in the body of Christ of what it looks like to cry out to God and find healing. And if you've ever loved God and done something wrong and you read this passage, it almost feels like you wrote it. Yes. Let me read it to you. Psalm 51. Well, I'll read it to you from here. <laughs> here we go. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Wash me, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin, it seems like it's always right in front of me. I can't stop thinking about this thing that I did wrong. God, you got to fix it. You ever been there? It's like you're infatuated with what you know you should not have said. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, Lord, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And do not cast your presence away. Oh man, this is my, like this means more to me than it. Like, God, please just don't take your presence from me. Yes. Or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore in me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In this passage, God is trying to set this concept of redemption that David is recognizing that he's broken and he can't fix himself. And he's asking that God would cleanse him. That the Lord would cleanse him. 
So all throughout the, the, whole, the whole book here, God would use many different illustrations to illustrate this concept of redemption, of cleansing, of renewing. If you would, that many, many theologians have said that if you can sum up the whole Bible in one word, it would be redemption. That God wants to redeem. This is a story of God redeeming you, redeeming you, redeeming you, taking ordinary people who made massive mistakes and making them new again. But you don't know what I've done. I do, because I did it too. And so did they. And so in, in, in the book of John, I find this funny parallel to me and my fight with Jesus. See, I don't, I don't know about you, but um, yeah, let me read there. So, so G, this is Jesus. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. And the scripture says that Jesus got up from the meal, and he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And, and, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Let me just stop there for a second. You want to talk about Awkward. First of all, please don't touch my feet. Like, that's just, that's just weird. Second of all, if you're my boss, you probably, please don't wash my feet. Like, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense, especially if you're my boss, especially if you're my teacher, or especially if you're my savior. It just doesn't feel right. And he was trying to dry them with it. He was drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And the next verse it says that he came to Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter said, and Jesus replied, you don't realize yet what I'm doing, but later you're going to understand. This is figurative. And he said, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, Lord. I feel the same way. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. You got to get this. This is going to be beautiful here in a second. And then the Lord Simon Peter answered, do not wash my feet, put my hands and my head. And some translations would say, just wash all of me, Lord. He's saying the same thing David said. The same thing that everyone would say throughout Scripture. Cleanse me, wash me, heal me, fix me. I'm broken. God, you got to put me back together. Well, what's really funny about this is the same way that, that, that Peter starts off is I, I don't know if I'm being really honest today as your pastor. When I sin, I don't want God to heal me. When I sin, I don't even like praying because I'm so ashamed to stand before God. It's like if, if God, if you'll just give me a time out and let me become righteous again, I'll go give some money, I'll feed some kids, I'll clean the house for my wife. I want to I wanna make myself righteous again. And I feel so naked standing before a God who the only one that can make me right is Him. And I try so hard to do it on my own. And what's funny is many of us that have this broken past that we haven't dealt with yet, we cover it, we hide it, and we think that in time, it'll get better. It doesn't. What Jesus is saying, Peter, you don't get it. You can't fix you. You can't heal you. What's broken inside of you, only I can fix. Yes. Surrender to me. This is what love is. This is real intimacy. And so many times in marriage, this is what goes wrong, is that we try to fix ourselves before we're, we allow ourselves to be intimate with each other. 
Just be you. Be broken. Be honest. Well, yeah. Lord Jesus, I know that there are some folks here that are struggling. I want you to know that the scripture says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. But as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our, 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 removed our transgressions from us. I'm thinking about scripture and I'm, I'm thinking about the passages where the Lord says, I, I remember your sin no more. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus would say to her, who, who here condemns you? I don't condemn you either. Again and again and again, Jesus is going to look at people and say, I forgive you. I remember this no more. No more, no more. When David writes the Psalms and it says that I would blot out your transgressions, I would literally erase them as if it didn't exist in time. Here's what God's trying to do. Redeem you. He's trying to make you new. And many of us disqualify ourselves because we buy into a lie that the enemy says, it's your fault. Mufasa would still be alive if it wasn't for you. Shame on you. And the Lord is saying, no. I had this vision that I kept seeing over and over and over and over again as I was writing this message. And it was really weird. I kept seeing this prisoner. And I'm trying to un understand it. And I did a really bad job explaining it in the first service. And I'll probably do a bad one this time too. But I, I kept seeing this illustration of this guy who committed this crime and stood before this jury. And the way it works in the criminal justice system, which I'm not really a part of, so I'm going to botch this, but it, generally if you commit a crime, you stand before a judge and you pay some sort of penalty. The penalty could be uh, you pay a fine or you give your time and energy to restore or cleanse or fix or like good deeds to cover up what you're, you've done. Uh, and if you, uh, or you give time and you go to a location until that time is done and then you're forgiven of what the crime has been. Does that make sense? Here's what you need to understand. You can't pay for your sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid our penalty. The kingdom of God is this. We did wrong. and He did right for us. Yes. And it's not fair and I don't like it and I would rather pay my own price. But that's not the way it works. Because there's no amount of good that I can do to fix the wrong that I've done. Jesus paid it all. But the funny thing is, what I see is many people still standing in a prison with chains on, with the door wide open, and no lock on the chains. And we're preventing ourselves from moving into the call of God because we feel like we need to punish ourselves for what Jesus paid for us. And sometimes it's the very love of God. This is the way shame works. It makes you feel like you're unlovable. The very act and love of God 
makes you feel more ashamed. And that's just the way the enemy works. God loves you just as you are. You're his son and your daughter. God loves you just as you are. You're his son and daughter. God loves you just as you are. You're his son or your daughter. I'm sorry for what mistake you made or what was said to you or what you said to someone else. But if you don't let go of the past, you simply won't walk into what God's calling you to. You have to let go of the past. And I'm sorry that you may not understand what happened or why it happened or when it happened. That's the way trust works. You just give it to God. The fourth point that I have today is um, a restored identity. We look through scripture, we can see so many stories of redemption. The thief on the cross. We talk about someone who deserved. And Jesus said, nah, man, I'm changing all that. Right now, you're worth heaven. David, Moses, literally, he's a murderer. Saul of Tarsus, the woman caught in adultery. And my man Simba. And so uh, what I love really is uh, Simba has this mind-blowing experience when the heavens open and a voice that sounded like the father, James Earl Jones, that, that is, I, I think when God speaks in heaven, he's actually going to have the voice of James Earl Jones. I don't know if you know this. But um, he says, Simba, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And I love that David was still a man after God's own heart. Your do is not your who. You are mine. And so this is what the scripture would say. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That the old life is gone and behold, new life has, has begun. It's time to live. The old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone and the new has come. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says it this way. So there is now no condemnation to those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Remember who you are. Remember what God's called you to do. I'm done. Deb, would you come? And so, um, how do you know that you're whole? Well, here's what I know. If we touch it, it shouldn't hurt anymore. You know what I, I know is that um, if you get a bunch of dudes in a room, many of us won't talk about our wounds, but we will talk about our scars, right? Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Super easy to talk about, you know, and this one right here, and this one right here, and this one right here, and, you know, we like, we can say, yeah, you know what happened is one time we traded war stories when we're healed. But when we're not healed and it still hurts, we're like little girls, man. No offense, ladies. But men can be, men get a cold and they can turn into like the biggest sissy bands in the world. Yeah, I know. But here's what I know is that the scripture says that um, they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. 
And so the healing process really comes out when you learn how to talk about it. Here's what I mean. Here's what the healing process should look like. In the natural, when you're hurt, you get a scar, you go see a doctor. And the doctor says, tell me about it. If we confess our sins to one another, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right? It's got to come out. What happens is, if you get a wound and you just put a Band-Aid over it, it's not going to heal, Jack. It's going to get stanky. I say stanky. Uh, It's going to get ugly. Or you break a bone and you don't get it put back right. Oof. It's going to stay permanently wrong. And many of us stay permanently wrong because we're afraid to deal with what hurts. So you go to a doctor and generally what they're going to do is they're going to touch it and it is going to hurt when they stitch it. They're healing it. I know it's scary to deal with what's broken, but it's good. Yeah, but I had this issue and I don't want pastor to know because if he finds out that I... It's okay. I read about a lot of dumber people than you that did greater things than you. There's nothing that you're going to do that's going to surprise many of us. The enemy just gets you thinking that you're the only one. But when you come out about it, you bring it into the light. God heals it. You just got to set, you got to get it out. When it stays in, it's like a cancer. And it just eats at you. It eats at you. In the scripture, the Bible teaches us to confess our sins. Not hide them. Would y'all do me a favor? Would you close your eyes for a minute? We want to sing a song over you. A song about surrender. A song about trusting God with your life. sound of his voice and seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard and through it all through it all my eyes are on you through it all through it all it is well
talking about there's a call of God on your life. And um, I know that it's super hard for many of us to get to the point where we'll surrender to trusting where God wants to lead us when we're so buried in what I've done wrong or what's happened in my past to me. And so what I need you to understand is that I'm well aware that some things have happened to you and many of you have done some things that you you simply can't fix but God can but if you don't deal with your past you won't ever enjoy today your marriage won't get to enjoy today your kids won't get to they'll only get a broken hurt version of you that you can you can mask it you can put a band-aid on it but I'm telling you it's still not whole until you give that to Jesus. And I believe that you're going to have to talk about it. You're going to have to see a doctor and get it out. And I'm not telling you this because I believe it. I see it in Scripture. That we share our lives together. The scripture says, They overcome by the, word of their, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What did God heal in you? That's your testimony. The Lord should get glory for what he healed. If he didn't heal it, then you still got to deal with it. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you all get your little cups out here? Little spiritual cups. We're going to put something in here. Something that happened. It's a little event in time. Happened right here. Y'all got it? Got your cups out? Great. Lord, at some point I trust that you're God. And I'll trust your word, and I'll trust you with my life, and I'll trust you with my hurt. And this is a hard moment for a lot of us when we want to control how we get better. I'm telling you, I saw it in my, in my nine-year-old son. He knocked his teeth out last year. We had to go to a dentist, and they had to put the tooth back in his mouth. Ten hours later. His mouth was hurting. He's flinching. But I got to tell you, son, you want this dentist to help you right now. You want the Lord to help you with this. So here's what I'm asking. The Bible says, listen, please hear me. If you haven't heard nothing else today, hear this. The scripture says that Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. My sheep know my voice. And they follow me. This is John 10, 25. 
I'm asking that God would speak to you right now about who you can talk to about this hurt. You're supposed to have people in your life that you can talk about you with. And I hope that they're godly. And I hope you can trust them in their wisdom that they talk to you about. It's important. You still like your pastor? Still a fun little guy? All right, I'm going to end with a story. Can we end with a story? Jesus, hold on. I'm sorry, I forgot to pray for you. Uh, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing to pain, to memories, to things that have gone wrong, things that weren't fair, and things that we've done that we need to let go of. Teach me how to trust you. And I beg you, Lord, that you would heal me and blot out all my transgressions. Clean me, and I'll be white as snow. And renew in me a steadfast spirit. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God. Teach me to trust you. In Jesus' name. Cool, I'm going to end with the story. Here we go. I didn't plan this in the first service, but it went so smooth. I'm going to try it again in the second one. It was really fun. I thought it was fun. Keep playing, kid. All right, cool. Here we go. Here's the story. Ready? Uh, this is a true story, and uh, you can go on YouTube and check it out. A lot of fun. Really, this really happened. Actually, it happened multiple times, and oftentimes, like, local news stories will grab the story and do a story about it because it's been on video. So the story is, this little kid was like four years old, was at the grocery store. If you know the story, don't, don't, tell, don't, fin- don't, don't ruin it. Little kid's at a grocery store, and he sees something cool in the vending machine, and he's... He sticks his hand up there because he doesn't have any cash to get the vending machine, and his arm got stuck. True story. And he looks over at his parents, and he's crying now because his arm's stuck, and he wants mom and dad to get it out, and they're pulling and pulling and pulling, and the kid's arm's stuck, and it's bad. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a parent, and I'd about ready to whoop my kid's butt in this situation because I'd be so embarrassed that they had to go leave their kid in the aisle and go get a manager, and hopefully someone's got keys to the vending machine to get the kid out. Sorry, we bought the machine from somewhere else. We don't have no keys to this thing. We're going to have to call someone and uh, so they call the fire department. They call 911. The fire department shows up. They have that machine. You know what I'm talking about? Like that. <laughs> they set the machine down. They're pulling on this kid. Everyone's pulling on this kid. Can't get the kid's arm out. So they set the machine down. And uh, they're, they're thinking about how we're going to take it apart. You know, what part should we cut first? And the kid's crying. He's scared. He's terrified. And um, after a while, when, they, when they're about ready to start the machine, the, the kid, uh, his hand comes loose. It was never stuck. He just didn't want to let go of this prize that he had. And I'm telling you, I've seen this in believers where you're not really stuck. But in the words of Disney from Frozen, can we do it? You know, let it go. How's the God song? I can't ever get it. Let it go. Let it go. All right, anyways, thanks. Ah, the little reverb there. Let it go. Anyways, it's time to go. And we're going to end this service here. Father, thank you for church. Thank you that you're speaking to your people. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you love us and you have a plan for our lives. And thank you that you're moving. In Jesus' glorious name, amen. House Church starts this week, and water baptism starts in 10 minutes, y'all. It's going to be fun. Come with us as we dunk some folks.